Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Everybody to another edition of the Top Thunder Podcast. I am your host today, Dylan Huntsinger at Thunder Chats. I'm joined by my co-host in Oklahoma, Alex Roig. Alex, what's going on, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited about this podcast. We we usually get you know guests that you know agree with us for for the most part, but we, we don't normally get a contrarian on here. So we're gonna go ahead and uh, you know talk to him and have a little have a little bit of fun. All right, so setting the tone, man. All right, so here we go. Our special guest joining us today. Move over, Steve Rogers. This guy was also just a kid from Brooklyn. He was an intern at Slam Magazine. He has wrote for Sports Illustrated. He currently writes for Bleacher Report. His work has appeared in the Boston Globe, Washington Post, GQ, ESPN's True Hoop Network, SB Nation, and he is the author, author, not offer, for Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. It is the one, the only enemy of the state, Jake Fisher. <laughs> Thank you for the kind introduction. You know, I, I can't tell you the last time I've been called a contrarian. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty uh, mellow, level-headed guy. but uh, <laughs> And I don't even have an opinion here. I'm just saying what I would fold. So um, I'm happy to get into it, though. I'm happy to, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. For sure, man. Let's just roll. Let's just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll definitely get into it. Uh, thank, yeah, but thanks for taking the time, man. And uh, you know, like I said before we get started, um, you know, we always like to ask a couple of background questions just to kind of you know pull back the curtain, let the listeners kind of get to know you a little bit. So we'll jump right into it, man. You know, you're a basketball reporter. What made you passionate about the game of basketball? Um, I just always loved playing, man. Like from a young age, I was pretty good, and. Uh, some people will disagree that I got to a certain level of, of you know, high quality play, but as, I mean, played through high school, um, but just like knew this was going to be something that, uh, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I'm six feet tall, not very athletic. Um, don't, I mean, I'm an athlete, but I'm not like, you know, Duncan over here. Hey, same right so, here, man. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be a career, but I wanted to be around the game. I love to write. I love to. I love journalism through my high school, um, you know, newspaper advisor was incredible. And I just knew, I mean, I, I had a column in sixth grade at my middle school newspaper. Like I knew this is what I wanted to do. Oh, wow. It just kind of been like putting the feet to the pavement type thing for a long time here. So yeah, I actually didn't, re- didn't even remember that for a long while. Um, my mom reminded me. So yeah, I guess I've been going at this since sixth grade. So here we are. Man, that's awesome. Mom, moms don't let you forget anything. That's that's for sure. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of funny, man. Because my next question was, how'd you get into writing and reporting? And you know, you kind of covered, you know, the the grassroots, how you got in there in sixth grade. But uh, how, uh, you know, what was the next step? Obviously, you know, you graduated from high school. I guess you did some paperwork in high school. Um, did you go into it to pursue a journalism uh, degree? And then, you know, how did you go from there? Yeah, I went to Northeastern to major in journalism. I, I knew Northeastern had this thing called co-op program. So it's typically a five-year program. Um, I only did it in four years, but typically um, you end up 
taken kind of three semesters off, if you will, to go work full time at like they're extended, like more, more comprehensive internships, let's say. Um, so even before all that, you know, summer after my freshman year, I interned at, at Slam and I stuck around at Slam for a couple of years and was going to TD Garden games in Boston, um, you know, at the South for the Celtics with the Slam franchise around my neck and writing little features then. And then got to the Boston Globe, did some high school stuff with them and got a co-op with Sports Illustrated. And, uh, you know, from there, I stuck around at SI for four years and kind of just keep chipping away at it and build up my network of sources and, you know, people I know around the league and, uh, you know, kept, you know, writing and reading every day and hopefully getting better. And, uh, you know, I got laid off by SI in 2019. Um, but, you know, I've got fortunate that um, my, my friend Chris Trenchard, editor there, wasn't really, wasn't really my friend then. We've become friends now. Uh, mm. He, he scooped me up and dusted me off and turned me into a rumors reporter. So it's been, it's been a good run. So I'm definitely grateful for him and grateful for the opportunity there. For sure, man. Hey, hey, Jake, um, w- when did you work for Slam? Like, what was the time frame? I was at Slam from like March 2013 until I'd say like when I started SI. So like June 2015. So a good solid two years. What's, so what's the vibe with Slam? Like, I, I, like I see Slam and I, I just see something that's like real hip as compared to something like Sports Illustrated, which is more, it feels more buttoned down, more official yeah. as opposed to like Slam, which feels like more of like your, you know, your 18 to 25 demographic and you want to go ahead and hit them with, you know, a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of, of swag, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, so how, how fun was it to work at Slam for those couple of years? Sure, Slam was awesome. Um, it, it was part of Harris Publishing Company um, that also mm-hmm. had XXL. And, like, there were definitely rappers and, like, musicians and people coming through, like, every day, which was pretty cool. I was in the office for one summer. And I, I'd, I'd pop in every now and then to say hello. But mostly I was in Boston. And then um, that next summer, 2014, I went to Orlando and Vegas summer league. Back to the, I was on the road for, like, 30 days for Slam. Um writing features and meeting people and, you know, doing, doing the grind, if you will. And, mm. um, you know, it was so, it was great. That, I mean, Slam would open up a lot. That was the first time in my life that it just opened up doors. Like you'd call up somebody and say, Hey, I'm from Slam magazine. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, I'll get you that guy. And that was also like something I'll never forget and realizing that like, okay, anything is possible. Like you can call up, you know, this agent and I say, I want to write about your player and they might say yes. So that kind of like, I feel like with reporting and making calls, a lot of people are just like afraid to make the call sometimes. So, you know, you just made the call. And when you have a back and like slam and people know what it stands for, um, it definitely, it definitely helped for sure. For sure, man. That's awesome. Um, you know, sticking on that, uh, who was the first big player that you got the opportunity to, you know, write an article on? Um, how are you defining big? <laughs> however you want to define it man it could be over, over six feet tall oh okay there you go well, Taller the, than you. the very first nba player I ever interviewed his name was damien wilkins people may remember him dominique wilkins his nephew i believe he played, played for, for the thunder he played for the thunder yeah he played for the sixers in 2012 13 seasons which was my freshman year of college which when i was still kind of a sixers fan definitely still a sixers fan um blogging for ESPN True Hoop Network, like you mentioned. At, the site at the time was called Philadelphia. 
and we booked Damian Wilkins. And they 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 said, who wants to interview Damian Wilkins? And I jumped at it. And I remember exactly where I was. I was in my freshman dorm um, at Northeastern. It was like this like crappy wooden desk. There was you know, white cinder block walls. I had a slam fat young poster hang taped up to the wall. And I was talking to Damian Wilkins on the phone. That, that was the first NBA player I ever interviewed. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, you know, we, we talked a little about you. I think, you know, we kind of pulled back the curtain. We know you a little bit more. So let's get into the nitty gritty, man. Let's talk about the team. This is Talk right. Thunder podcast. So, you know, in your book, Built to Lose, um, you talk about tanking. Obviously, the Thunder are kind of in the middle of that process. Kind of. Um, <laughs> yeah, just just a little bit. So, uh, how would you rate the early stages of the rebuild so far? Well, listen, I think we got to peel back the, the curtain to use your expression a little bit further here and realize that like the Thunder's success from 2007 to 2009, getting to the 12 finals, like that set the stage, I think, for the tanking era that we talk about in my book from you know 2013 on, where you have Sam Hinkie doing it, you have Ryan McDonough leaving. Uh, Boston to you know tank in Phoenix and Boston trades Cade Jugan Paul Pierce to Brooklyn to restart their rebuild and people forget that Nets trade happened the same night Hanky traded Drew Holiday to uh, New Orleans and um, you know Orlando Rob Hennigan gets poached from the Thunder to go run the Magic and, and rebuild from the Dwight Howard era right like I think a you know, part of being able to tank and rebuild is to telling your ownership group and convincing them like this is the strategy for us to do right and I think the success the Thunder had helped a lot of those GMs, especially Rob Hennigan, go to ownership and said, this is what my plan is going to be. So, you know, that, that context is important here too with like Sam Presti's done this before. He knows what, he knows how to do it. And I don't know, the, the Thunder, by all accounts, when you talk to people on the league, they've uh, invested some of the most resources and scouting of any team in the league. You know, they definitely have reached out to – you know, high school grassroots type people more than any team I've heard of. Um, and I think that pays off now with this really league ignite situation. And, you know, eventually if we get rid of the one and done rule type stuff, uh, which at this point, I don't know if that will happen. I think, I think with the ignite being a thing and overtime elite being a thing, like I just think that's the path. Now there's like a whole industry. I don't, I don't think we're going to see kids just jump to the NBA. Um, but, you know, all that being said, I'm really curious what the next move of the funder is. Like, are they just going to stay the course here with Shea as their guy and you draft Giddy and you draft Theo Maladone and Poku and whatever, but you know, start to hear the stuff that Shea is available for trade and that Lou Gantz door is available for trade and all this other, you know, you know, the Al Horford Kemba stuff. Like clearly it doesn't seem to be that they've got any real plan to um, push their chips closer into the table and start to compete anytime soon. It doesn't seem that way. So I am curious how long this process will go, pun intended. And I'm curious to see what accumulating this historic pile of picks really does for them. Because at a certain point, they've just got so many picks. Like if they ever want to make a trade for anybody, they were trying when they were trying to move up this year. I mean, teams are just asking for an absurd amount of picks because they're like, why not? Like, you got 18 picks anyway, just give us four of them. So I, I, I'm curious. They haven't, they haven't used any of them yet to be a buyer, right? So I am curious to see where this thing evolves to. But after year one, like they've done their one year removed from trading Chris Paul. Um, after year one, you know, I think what they've done is compiled the most impressive stockpiling of 
young players and, and picks that we've seen in a long time. But again, the picks aspect of it, you know, what will that really be? Um, you know, I'm curious how that spins itself out. So let me ask you a question. This is, this is just me thinking this is kind of off script. Um, yeah. um, so, you know, the Thunder, they have so many picks and we all know and everybody knows that they cannot make every one of those picks and have every one of those players on the roster Correct. within a, you know, a seven, six, seven year period. Um, so does it become a, everybody views all those picks as assets, as a strength. Is there also the possibility that having too many picks a la the Boston Celtics from, yes. you know, a couple years ago, where that becomes a situation where teams know that you can't pick all these players. They know that you can't keep all these picks. And so whenever you try to deal with them, you know, they go ahead and play extremely hardball and say, look, I know that you can't keep all these picks. Give me more picks or else we won't, you know, we won't deal with you. Yeah. It, Boston was exactly the example I was going to give. Um, you know, I, I am curious if that situation happens. Um, and I am curious, you know, like they're doing this because the, the harsh reality, I mean, I went to Sam Presti's virtual Zoom press conference at the end of the season and he started off in this like 30 minute monologue about rebuilding and the process they're in and you know, how it's going to take time and hard work and patience, but recognizing, um, you know, recognizing this moment and blah, 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 and doing what they can to you know, build a winner that's, that's worthy of the people of Oklahoma City. Like he's, like he's very good at contextualizing this. Um, and um, you know, I think that's also because they know, and I think people in OKC know, you're not signing superstars in free agency unless you already have superstars there. Like Paul George re-signs with the Thunder after being traded for because Russell Westbrook is in town. Um, and I think like they're doing what they can now to establish that infrastructure in the future. So when is that time? Like timeline is the word you keep hearing when you talk to people on the league about the Thunder. Like what is the timeline? So at a certain point, it seems logical that they'll have drafted the guys they think they can use to not to use this so bluntly, but to attract the other star, the next star, whatever, like at that certain point, they'll have the biggest package they, that anyone could offer. So that should theoretically benefit them. But if it's Philly trying to trade Ben Simmons right now, for example, you know, that's way different than Portland trying to trade Damian Lillard. Like I'm saying, it's in a hypothetical situation when the Thunder are ready to trade. Like the Blazers probably would love to take a bunch of extra picks, but Philly, a team that's looking to get something back, they can help them compete. Like that's not doing much for them. So yeah. it's going to be contextual and situational whenever they do try to go move their chips on the table to get somebody. And I'm curious, yeah, how, how those picks will really be received then. Yeah, that's a fair point, man. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the struggle, you know, with tanking, you know, there's uh, you know, the Thunder fan base was cool with doing it for a year, you know, for the most part. And there, there were some, uh, you know, detractors, but, now it seems like you know there's an impatience in the Thunder fan base. They're like, okay, you know, we, we went through tanking one year, we got Josh Giddy, you know, it, it's that proved that it doesn't work you know, <laughs> in their eyes. So, you know, they're just kind of like, maybe now, you know, maybe we push in those chips and maybe we try to get a team that can, you know, kind of compete for a play and stuff. But 
Yeah, man, it, it, it's weird times to be a Thunder fan. You know, we obviously, you know, we see the plan. And as you talked about, Cresty's laid out the plan multiple times um, about, you know, sustained success. But, you know, like I said, the Thunder fan base gets a little bit impatient. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think any fan base does. I think the lottery was changed a lot because of what Sam Hankey did in the time frame of my book to prevent, to have this exact outcome where the Thunder get screwed by getting the sixth pick. And the Thunder got the number one pick and they have Kate Cunningham or Evan Mobley right now. Like I think those Thunder fans, those detractors are probably like, all right, one more year, who else can we get? You know? So I, I yeah. think, um, I think that's important to consider too. Yeah, for sure, man. So let's, let's get into it, man. You know, we, we, we pulled back the curtain a couple of times. Let's pull back one more time here. So, uh, you know, in the pre-draft process, uh, Mike Babcock of Pro City Sports first reported OKC offered Shea Gilch Alexander a six pick for pick one to draft Kay Cunningham. Shortly after, you reported the same thing, and you referenced the John Washerman tweet that said the Thunder have made a legitimate offer for their number one pick. My question is um, – is this something that you had heard firsthand? Is this something that um, I guess that you saw the original report and then you kind of did some digging and you confirmed it? Like what, you know, uh, talk through that process there. My article was coming out that next day and I was not talking to Jonathan Wasserman. Um, and I was definitely upset that Matt Bobcock broke it first because I didn't think anyone else was going to break it. And because I don't think other reporters want to write something that necessarily Sam Presti doesn't want out there. Um, and you know, I recognize why he wouldn't. And I recognize to get to your question that's probably coming, why he and the executive who used to work under him, who now is optically running Detroit, uh, you know, wouldn't want that out there either. Um, so, you know, but I heard it from multiple people on the NBA and then there was someone, you know, with knowledge of the situation, let's say, who confirmed it. I even had someone I talked to yesterday mention it to me. Um, so it's definitely something that I fully believe is, is, is real. And I heard back at the trade deadline, even that the Thunder, you know, it was it was quiet, but a lot of people in my conversations around the trade deadline start saying similar things like, hey, by the way, like, have you heard Shea Gillis Alexander is available? Like, I, I think it sounds like he is. Like, have you heard that Dort's available? Like, it sounds like he is. Hamidou Diallo obviously got traded because he was ahead of the payday. So, you know, there's been a theme throughout conversations I've had for months now that the Thunder aren't necessarily married to these guys that they have. Um, and, the, and the other thing that made me really – you know, a lot of my job is connecting dots and checking out Intel and seeing what matches up, right? Like, I'll, I'll call somebody who, you know, I've, I've been armed with everything I've heard and everything I'm about to report, and I'll just kind of play dumb to see if what I have matches up with what they said. And if they say the exact same thing that other people have said to me, it's pretty good. That's a pretty good sign that it, that it checks out, right? So, another aspect is like, it's talking to other teams who are talking to Detroit. And I also have to consider the fact when I talk to teams and, and agents and whoever, you know, they might not be wanting to tell me the truth too, right? Because that, that's, that's a, so I'm always trying, like, I'm, I feel like I'm a detective, like piecing together nuggets of in, intel and trying to really, you know, put it all through. So teams that were talking to Detroit were all telling me that Detroit wanted not just a pick in the top 10 of this year, preferably in the top five. They wanted a young, you know, borderline all-star, someone who was on that way. And they wanted a future first after that. So 
if the Thunder were making legitimate offers for number one, which they definitely were, the only way to do so is to offer Shea Gildas Alexander. And people and, and people are telling me that they offered Shea Gildas Alexander. And one final person who definitely has knowledge of the situation says they did, like felt confident enough to report it. And even even know even knowing that there was probably going to be a refute coming out. I mean, I, a couple of weeks later, I was the first to report that um, Ben Simmons wasn't really in having communication with the Sixers at all. And I got killed for that. And the Sixers even called up a local writer and refuted the report. And then multiple other reports came out in the next couple of weeks that, um, that the Sixers haven't had dialogue with Ben Simmons here. So I, I, I trust my process. I trust my people. There's people I don't trust that I talk to. And I know when I talk to them that they might be lying to me and I want to double check what they say. Um, but when I hear something, you know, two, three times, and then I check it with someone who's, who's involved with the situation and would know, like, that's usually when I go for it. All right. Hey, I, I respect it. I respect the hustle. I respect that, you know, you, you did your homework, you know, you, you, you talked to multiple sources there. Um, if I was going to, let me, oh, go ahead, hold on. let me, let me throw out a, a scenario. Let's say, let's say that the number one pick this year wasn't Cade Cunningham. Let's say it was Victor Wimbayama or Chet Holmgren, mm-hmm. those, which those two players seem to be more transformative players than does um Cade Cunningham which is more you know Cade Cunningham seems more like a destined to be a star but not necessarily a transformative star for a team do you think the scenario plays out differently if it's one of those two players other than or instead of Cade Cunningham in terms of like would the trade have been completed yes um no I, I think from everything I heard there was a big faction of the Pistons front office and they were split for sure. They were definitely split. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe Troy Weaver wanted Evan Mobley. I really do. I've been hearing that from the jump from the, from the second they won the lottery that Evan Mobley was someone that Troy Weaver was a fan of, but Arn Tellum has a lot of influence in my front office too. That happens in a lot of different uh, front offices where, you know, go around the league, you know, pick any franchise. There's somebody there who thinks they have a final say who might not. And um, I'm not saying in every team, but in a lot of teams. And that also might be a sliding scale where some guy wins one decision, another guy wins another decision or another gal, you know, there's situations where an owner's son or an owner's wife ends up, you know, having a big influence. It's really is true. So with that regard, like, I just think that the Pistons definitely thought one of these guys was going to be, uh, I mean, all these guys, a couple of these guys had real chances of being all-star perennial, all-star Hall of Fame type players. And Cade Cunningham was ultimately the guy they thought was the best. I don't think they were – I don't think things change. I think they're viewing him as in the same light as, you know, a Chet Holmgren or anybody else who's come past or previous. I guess – so I guess my question – I guess my question was misunderstood a little bit. From the Thunder's point of view, Oh, okay. If I, this was Victor Wimbayama or Chet Holmgren, do you think they pull the trigger as opposed to this year where Cade Cunningham, good player, could be a great player, but maybe doesn't have the transformative power that, say, those other two players do? Well, Victor, I'm reading it now, so I don't pronounce it. Victor Wimbayama, I think, is someone, like, universally uh, looked at right now. He'll, he'll be in the 2023 class. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah, he's. I, I don't. I'm not really big with the grassroots high school college scouting game anymore. I, I kind of come into it like 
the spring of that draft. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, he's someone, I mean, someone, a good buddy of mine is a G League coach, even to set and pass. I'm like, that dude is a freak uh, in terms of Victor. But Chet, I mean, I think probably he's considered the same thing too. I mean, both of those guys, long, fluid athletes who can shoot it and put the ball on the floor. Seems like a Sam Presti type guy to me, right? Yeah, definitely. So, my, you know, wrapping up here, you know, I, I know you got to get out of here in a little bit, so I'll try not to keep you too much. But um, you also reported the same offer was made to the Cavs for the number three pick. Did not report that. You did didn't not. report that. Ah, that's on me then. <laughs> yeah. they, offered, no, they offered six and a bunch of future firsts. I don't know how many. I don't know what first. I don't know what the protections were. But um, that's what the, the, the package for three was definitely six and a bunch of future draft picks. Okay, so Shea was only on the table for, like, pick for number one. one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dylan, Dylan, Dylan out here with that fake news. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I clarified, all right? I did my homework. <laughs> I, don't, so. I don't think Houston – I don't think Houston ever, ever really had much conversation. They, they seem to be pretty set on Jalen yeah. Green from the jump. That's fair. Um, so, I, I guess my uh, my question here, and, th- and this is kind of more of, like, a reporter's mindset. You know, you're talking yeah. to Thunder officials, Piston officials, you know, NBA officials just in general. Um, whenever you get, you know, I guess nuggets from your sources, um, is there a part of you that questions, you, you kind of touched on this, but I just wanted to see if you could like expand on this. Um, is there a part of you that questions if this is more for information or if this is more for leverage? Um, well, I mean, before I started and I was having a lot of these conversations in the last couple of seasons, just cause I got friends in the league. Um, but you know, before I took this, this like news reporting rumors job with BR, like I called a lot of my closest contacts and said like, hey, I'm going to do this, but I want to do it in a way that's like someone, not to toot my horn, but someone who, you know, right, I wrote about one of my reports that I wrote about Paul Millsap today, called it like an in-depth breakdown. And like, yeah, I made like 17 calls for that story. Um, so, you know, I want to do that. I want to write these stories in a way that isn't just like sources colon tweet and then I don't write any you know I feel like that's bullshit I feel like that's not the job like I don't I don't get paid to tweet I get paid to write right there's a difference if like you know I've already hinted at something like and and, and I know I'm solid on it I know it first and I want to get it out there first that Dennis Schroeder is close to you know having having contract conversations with the Boston Celtics you know um and like, I wasn't going to write a whole story on that because I'd already written a whole thing about that destroyer before. Um, you know, maybe, maybe now, maybe now that I have a new contract and different bonus structures, maybe I would have written about it. Um, but um, I think, you know, to go back to your, your question, like I have an idea, I have a strong sense of how, how the league works. And I've got these people that I do trust and that they, they come to me and ask my opinion for things and, um, you know, like a couple agents I know are like, Hey, what do you think this team is doing? Like, how can it help me here? Like people come to me asking for help to get jobs. Like I know a lot of assistant coaches and Julie coaches who were coming to me from office guys too. who were like, Hey, what do you heard? Like Philly fires all these people. You know, I've been telling people for weeks, people without jobs. Like I heard the Sixers are going to fire a lot of their staff. You know, if you know anybody there, check in, you know, see if there's going to be an opening for you. So like I've been in this so long that with people I know I can definitely trust, but when there's someone I call for the first time about a story, um, like there's an agent of a player I called that I wrote about 
um, during the free agency. I've never spoken to in my life. And I got him on the phone and he answered. I was like, oh, okay, let's talk. And he told me something different on Tuesday. That I called him again on Thursday before the story came out. So I wanted to confirm everything. He told me a whole different, different thing. And I, and, I, and I feel like to suss that out, like, you just got to be smart about it. You got to be a people with a person. You got to have, you got to be empathetic, I think, to kind of be able to understand someone's perspective. So like, I can hear it in tone of voice. I can hear, you know, if, if you catch someone changing their tune, you call them out on, not in an aggressive way, but like, oh, well, you told me this on Tuesday. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really just calling here because I want to get this accurate and thorough and, and as detailed as possible. I want to include your perspective. So like, help me, help me help you here, you know? And again, that's not like, trying to carry people's water for them or say what they want me to say, but I'm trying to be accurate. Number one goal of the job is to be accurate. So if, if I do think there's someone say, telling me something I don't believe, or I think they're trying to mislead me, I'll definitely say something about it and back it up with other Intel I have. And usually, you know, if you've done the work, people will recognize that and they'll say, Oh, okay. All right. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. All right. I like it. it all how, makes how, sense. how much, how much is being like a rumor writer? How much is it like? So have you, have you ever seen game of, game of Thrones? Of course. Of course. So how much is it like you being like Varys or Littlefinger where yeah. you receive all this information yeah. and then you have to parse through it and see what can be put out there yeah. or what, you know, what you just got to keep to yourself or what you, you say is bullshit. Um, I definitely more Varys than Littlefinger. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the bullshit is just people being lied to themselves or hearing something and, and telling me something because they want to be the first to tell me. Um, like a lot of people now in the league will text me who never texted me before, who I've known for years, like, hey, what are you hearing? Because they, they know I'm hearing stuff now and they want to know what I'm hearing. Um, so a lot of times people will just give me a tip because they want to get back. They want that, they want that tip to come back to them. So if it's like a scout with uh the Atlanta Hawks just for a random team you know if it's a scout with the Hawks and that guy tips me off like I'll tip him off maybe later on and he'll be able to tell his GM like hey I heard this is happening and that person will look good so um you know that that's another aspect of it too and I feel Wait, like quid pro quo yeah and I feel like for me like I'm definitely playing more of a Varus rule than a little finger rule because like I don't have any objective here. Like I really am just sitting here in this chair obsessing the league and trying to tell people what's happening behind the scenes. Cause like I am behind the scenes, even though I'm not in those rooms, I'm not on the trade call. I usually know one person on both sides of the trade call. And that's just the way to, and I know usually know a person who like a coach who one of those people confides in or agent who talks to that GM or whatever, and can kind of piece some stuff together until I've got, enough to just bring it to the person like hey you know hey okc person i heard this from a lot of people and people that i trust like i'm gonna write about it if you can say anything great if not like i totally understand and that's typically the that's the approach i take with it so you're not so you're not trying to climb the ladder of chaos you're just doing what's best for the realm Yes, I'm doing what's best for the realm. I'm just trying to bring truth to the light, man. I'm not trying to carry anybody's agenda forward and spin any narrative. I'm just there. We go. I'm just saying what it is. Break that wheel, Jake. Break that wheel. He's not a contrarian, Alex. Gosh, (laughs) yeah. Tell you, maybe I am a contrarian. The fact that I'm just trying to do the job, you know. There you go. That's all. That's all. Hey, I like it, man. Hey, uh, 
Speaking of somebody who is just now getting into Game of Thrones, just watched the Purple Wedding last night. So, you know, we're, 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 on, a, we're on a good note right now. Purple Wedding is a later episode. What is it now? Well, the Red Wedding is the big famous. Was yeah, the, yeah, the Purple yeah. Wedding was mm-hmm. Yeah, it was afterwards. Whose marriage was that? That was uh, Joffrey and Marjorie's. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, Marjorie's yeah. an interesting character. She's a, she's a pretty cool one. Um, all right, cool. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it for sure, man. And you know, before we sign off, you know, we just want to give you a chance to plug all your stuff. You know, talk about your book for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. I I purchased the audio book. I'm diving into it right now. Just listen to the introduction. Uh, I really enjoy your writing style. You know, you make it you make it fun. I enjoy you know things that you know I can really hear the author's voice in. Like you know, I don't want to read something that's monotone in theme. Yeah. Like you know, you you could tell you had a good time with it. So. I write to music, you know, so I want to have pace to it, but people are, you know, turning the page, moving down the page, all that type of stuff. So um, that's that Brooklyn, that's that Brooklyn in you. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that, man. Um, I will say for anyone listening, if you are interested in buying a copy, uh, please buy the print version. That's how I get a little bit more of the proceeds. Oh, my um, bad. <laughs> no, it's all good. Not to call it out, but, uh, you know, just, just, just a friendly, a friendly, uh, notice to everybody else out there you can get it on amazon bookshop.org if you want to support a local bookseller my publisher triumph books barnes and noble um there's a partnership i'm doing with a watch company called la terrain t-o-u-r-a-i-n-e yes, uh, there's a promo code built to lose there um and you get a free book with watch purchase um so that's another fun thing i'm um, doing these uh hangouts with the halftime app now uh, i think it's called the halftime app officially in the app store every thursday and friday four o'clock to five o'clock eastern time it's like spotify green room locker room clubhouse you know that that type of technology where you can jump on and ask me a question um doing that every thursday and friday like i said four or five eastern and writing once a week for bleach report so you know the books like like i said it's got a ton of new info in there i talked to over 300 people for that thing you're not going to find a lot of the stories and anecdotes from transactional stuff like we talked about here to interpersonal stories, um, you know, you're not going to find them anywhere else because they're in the book and you're not going to get them anywhere else. Um, yeah. So, uh, and if you want me to write another one, which I really do about a cooler, more important topic, which I hopefully be announced soon, the more sales for this one, the better the case for the next one. So that's my spiel. And sure. uh, again, I appreciate you guys having me on and give me the platform to talk about it. Absolutely, awesome. man. You know, really enjoyed having this conversation with you. Hopefully, we can have you back on again, and you know, may- maybe it'd be a less contentious topic. <laughs> <laughs> not contentious at all, man. I'm just happy to come on and, and uh, not defend myself, but you know, talk through my process and, and show you. We're not just making up stuff over here. We're trying. We're working on behalf of the fans. We're not trying to lie to the fans. We're trying to bring the truth that people don't necessarily want out there to the fans. So there you go. Absolutely. Well, I, I, will, I apologize I will say, for all the memes that I made at your dispense. <laughs> I will say that I I enjoyed I enjoyed this uh, this podcast a lot, and uh, I do enjoy that you came on here and explained your process and actually, you know, put some put some weight behind the process. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. All right, man. Well, hey, we'll we'll let you go. We won't keep you another second longer. Uh, just appreciate your time, man. Have a good night. You got it. Take care, fellas. Take care, man. All right, man. That was Jake Fisher. Jake Fisher. Pretty cool, man. Report. That was, yeah, that, I, 
I'm not going to lie. I had in my head an idea of how that was going to go. And it, and it didn't go it. that way at all. <laughs> it, it, dang it, I like the guy. Yeah, darn it. He makes sense. I'm being reprimanded for screaming. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, guys, uh, that's, you know, that's not it for the podcast. You know, you got me and Alex, you know, we got to talk to Jake Fisher. I thought it was a great conversation. It was cool to not only pull back the curtain on just the, you know, the whole Shea trade rumor in general, but just like his whole process. I think uh, that was really interesting to find out more about and definitely check out his book. Like I said, I got the audio book. Um, sorry, sorry, Jake, for shorten you on get your change. Yeah, get the paperback. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, hey, or, you know, go to our, uh, go to also our sponsor at lot under or hyphen terrain watches.com. And, uh, you know, you can use our promo, co- promo code OKC and get 10% off. Or, you know, if you want to use the code built to lose and get a free built to lose book, you could also do that. You know, it's your prerogative. It's, it's okay. Um, the product is awesome. I got mine in the mail. Uh, I think last week, that's really comfortable. It works. That's a, that's a big thing for me with watches. So yeah, de- definitely check that out guys. But like we said, you know, we're not done. We got more going on. Um, you know, me and Alex will go ahead and sign off. We'll do our outro music after the outro music. Um, we actually got the opportunity, uh, Stephen Dolan and Connor last name omitted <laughs> three underscore cone. got a chance to actually sit down and ask Josh Giddy a couple questions, uh, in part of the, I believe it's one, three, seven. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, was it JD sports? Mm-hmm. Yeah. JD sports. So I was going to be a part of it, but they had to move the date and it was in the heart and in the middle of my work day on the busiest day of the week. So I wasn't able to be a part of it, but what? You don't hear buzzing. You're going crazy. Now I'm going to have to edit that. I don't, there's nothing buzzing. Yes, there. Okay, just, I'm almost done. Just chill. <laughs> All right, so, anyways, um, they got a chance to sit down with Josh, ask him a couple questions. Dolan, Dolan held it down, represented the pod. Cone forgot to mention the pod, but I understand, you know, you, yeah. Um, he has so many other ventures. I mean, he <laughs> has a YouTube channel. He has this. He does, he does uh, the, he does the spaces from time to time. Like, he's. He's a busy man. If you don't hush, I'm trying to finish. <laughs> okay, anyways. Sorry. So, yeah, he, he's got a lot going on, I understand. He said that, uh, you know, he he, he kind of freaked out whenever he was in the presence <laughs> of old Josh Giddy and his his uh, famous TikTok face. So, I, I understand. I, I've been there. Yeah, I I've understand, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, we're going to attach those uh, interviews just just Dolan and Cone's questions at the end. Um, if you want to check out the full video, you can go to, I think, 137's YouTube page. And, I mean, it was a really fun interview. Josh seems like a great guy. I don't know if you guys saw my tweet. Uh, he posted in his TikTok how, um, you know, throughout the draft process, going into the draft, OKC was actually the team that he wanted to end up mm-hmm. at. He didn't think there was a shot for him to end up there at six. He thought his range was seven to 14, <laughs> much like yours truly. But – you know, he wanted to go to OKC. He ended up in OKC, and, uh, you know, we're excited to have him. So, I'm going to stop blabbering before my wife says something about the random buzzing in our house again. Um, oh, my God. It's it's Havana syndrome. Y'all are going to get sick. Oh, don't do that. So, on behalf of myself and Alex. It's your mic. 
Well, you, I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally signing off. You can't just say no word for five seconds. <sighs> you got to okay. keep this in here. You know that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you gotta keep I hope you guys enjoy this. Is, this is great podcasting. Yeah. Phenomenal podcasting. <laughs> and you can hear my son breathing off of his ventilator in the background as well. So anyways, on behalf of myself, Alex, my wife, the random buzzing sound of my house, and my son's ventilator in the background. Hope you guys have a great night. God bless. Thank you for listening. Wash your hands, wear your mask where you need to, get vaccinated if you haven't, hoop when you can, and as always, and we're not done. Listen after the intro. Thank you for listening to the Topic Thunder podcast. Our podcast is available to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a positive review, and follow us on Twitter at OKC Topic Thunder. Thunder up! Hey guys, doing from the future here. I uh, just wanted to say as a reminder, we're part of the Believe Podcast Network. I keep saying Believe. It's Believe Podcast Network. And, you know, we've been with Believe, Believe, gosh, for about two months now. And they're, they're a great podcast network. They've been able to give us access to different sponsors and advertisers. So I'm about to read a word from them right now. You know them, you love them. It's betonline.ag. Guys, the NFL season's right around the corner. The NBA season's right around the corner. I just did my fantasy football draft this past Saturday. I'm, I'm excited for the two, like, major sports of the world to, you know, start back up. And you guys should be excited, too. So if you want to bet online for games, over and unders, award races, the one place to go is betonline.ag. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And after that thrilling conversation we just had with Jake Fisher, I got to say, I, I had preconceived notions of what he was going to be like, and he blew them out of the water. He was just a really cool guy, really down to earth. Um, you know, he he kind of uh, he defended himself without being too defensive, if that makes any sense. And, I, you know, as I said many times, he, he kind of pulled back the curtain on what it's like to be a reporter chasing down leads, chasing down, you know, new information. So, Definitely appreciate him coming on. But as I said, we're not done. Connor and Dolan got to ask Josh Giddy a few questions. So without further ado, we will take you to that. There he is. What's up, Steven? Hey, Josh. Hey. Oh, nice. How are you, you doing? How are you doing? You got the mic going yeah. and everything. I see what you're up to. <laughs> Steven, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah. Hey, Josh. I'm Steven. I'm, I'm a member of the Topic Thunder podcast. We cover the team all the time um thanks for doing this man this is really cool no problem so you're probably aware of this but this past season was pretty rough for the thunder um we're trying to i think presti's words were reposition and replenish the organization so we can get back to like sustainable success like we always have had you know um and you're kind of the first big result of that action do you feel any extra pressure knowing that like the team and the fans went through that whole season just to get you and like, what would you say about the future to the fans who have so much like hope and emotion invested in your success? Yeah. I mean, obviously um, I mean, I didn't follow the thunder 
just the Thunderlachi because I didn't know I was going to end up here. But I did, you know, keep a keep an eye on a lot of teams, and I did, you know, obviously the Thunder, um, you know, struggled last year to not to sugarcoat or anything, but um, they didn't win a whole lot of games, and uh, I mean that's expected with a young team and, and how they're situated is, um, you know, probably expected. But um, something I've always been a part of is, is winning cultures, and that's what I hope to bring um to this team this season and i mean it's still a young team but um you know we've got guys like shay lou dort basely coming back and um are going to be a lot better from last year to this year so um it's a great team um all the guys are good everyone's kind of on the same page with where we want to head and um the direction we're headed in so um it's exciting times and in terms of the pressure you know i, I don't really see it like that i mean um obviously the front office and coaches trusted me enough to, to take me with that six pick and um see me being able to help this team uh, be successful. So um, I, I look at it that way and I'm excited to, to get on the floor with these guys and um, make changes from last year and, and hopefully, um, you know, keep continuing in that upwards trend. Yeah, that's great, man. And we have a saying we like to say around here, which is trust the Presty. And so if he if he believes in you, we do too. Uh, thanks again, man. No worries. Really looking forward to this season. Thank you. Love it. Thanks, Steven. We've got Connor Thomas. Connor Thomas. Let's see if Connor's here. There he is. Well, hey, LED was, lighting setup. What up, Connor? Yeah, a little bit. I um, I actually just a couple of days ago moved back into my apartment at college. I'm going in my fourth year of college, so whereabouts the setups any weird at all? Uh, but uh, nice to meet you, Josh. Uh, huge Thunder fan. Um, make YouTube videos, active on Twitter and stuff like that. But all around, just overall, a huge Thunder fan. So I'm super excited to have you on the team Ooh. and excited to see where things go. Great to meet you. Um, my question is so like. Uh, you can you probably know because you are yourself a very unique player that the NBA kind of has gone a lot of different directions in the past few years. Like just back in like 2013, 14, there was a lot more like back to the basket, big type players. And now today it's all like three point shooting, ball handling. And so something that a lot of Thunder fans have kind of noticed is that Sam Presti has went a lot, kind of away from the old way of drafting like super athletic guys is typically the players that we would see drafted by the Thunder in the past to now a team full of a lot of like ball handlers. There's you and Shea as guards. Uh, Dort, he played some a point guard at ASU. Poku at like almost seven, like seven feet tall, can handle the ball too. So what do you think about that way of kind of constructing a roster, having all these different guys that can handle the ball? And how do you see yourself fitting into that and improving and helping to kind of contribute to that like mold of a team. Yeah, uh, no, that's spot on. I mean, as you see, the game changes and it's evolving into kind of a positionless game. And um, as you said, there's on our team, especially, we got so many guys that can handle the ball, whether it's a six foot guard or it's a seven foot forward like Poku, it's, um, yeah. it's a luxury to have. And I mean, the more ball handlers and playmakers you can have on the floor at one time, I think personally is such a bonus because if Shea's getting pressured, you know, I can handle it. If I'm getting pressured, mm -hmm. And we can just move the ball around and there's so many guys we can rely on to make plays. And I think if you've got wings and stuff that can't handle the ball, um, it, it, it makes it hard on the guards because they're so heavily reliant on the, the you know, the one and the two to bring the ball up, initiate the offense. But if one and two are getting, you know, guarded full court, you've got other guys we have that can bring the ball up and run the offense. So um, it's a luxury to have and the game's evolving in that direction. And um, we're fortunate enough on our team to have so many guys that can handle the ball, um, initiate the offense, make plays. So um, it's a really good thing to have. Yeah, as like, like I said, as a Thunder fan, I'm just super excited about the possibility of like all these different guys. Like I'm picturing some like 2014 Spurs type stuff where like everyone's passing the ball, like just getting good looks. Because I think like 
the way that Presti is like building it, it kind of feels like that's kind of the future of basketball. Like we see with Nicole Jokic winning an MVP, like not a guy you would typically think of as like a ball handler or a passer. And now he's the MVP of the league because he's able to do that at like seven feet tall. Yeah. No, I mean, it, that's exactly, as I said, it's just the way the game's heading. There's so many guys, tall, small, that can handle the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Jokic is a perfect example. He's not athletic, you know, or explosive or anything like that, but he's so smart and so skilled that he, he gets by on that stuff. So, um, that is just a, a big part of it. And our team, it's a, it's a really, from what I've seen and watched and heard, it's a really unselfish team. And, um, you know, guys sacrifice themselves for, for the good of the team. And, um, that's something I'm, I'm happy to be a part of. And, um, I think it fits my game perfectly because, you know, I'm an unselfish player. And I think if everyone kind of buys into that team system, um, it's going to lead to success. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. When we drafted you, um, I was just thinking about the possibilities of you and Shea both being able to handle the ball, like throw Poku in there, door, just everyone being able to handle it. So it's really exciting. I'm excited to see how like the team fits and works and everything. So yeah, me too. No, it's going to be good. Connor, where are you at in school? Uh, I'm in my fourth year of school and I go to uh, the university of Virginia. So nice. Um, and where can people find you? You said you put out content on YouTube. Uh, yeah. So, um, my Twitter is three under like spelled out T H R E E three underscore cone on Twitter. Um, and then same thing with YouTube just with no underscore in there. So been working on that. Um, you know, trying to build a little bit of a following. So are you doing anything on TikTok? Uh, I made a TikTok. Josh, I know you're super active on TikTok. Uh, I follow you on there. Um, but I, ma- I made a TikTok and then I like tweeted out. I was like, oh, I might start posting on here every now and again. I think that was probably about a month ago and I haven't posted anything yet. But um, well, yeah, Josh has posted it. like five days in a row <laughs> and, and he's an NBA player. Yeah. So I, th- um, so I think you've got to get your TikTok. Yeah. Game, right? At this point, I don't feel like I have any excuse if Josh is going crazy like that and I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Facts. And his stuff's low lift if you look at it. Yeah. You just gotta it's, make it. <laughs> it's entertaining, man. I it's it's like weird to see. So I'm 21 years old now. So it's weird to reach have reached the point where like players coming into the league at like the same age as me. And yeah. uh, I don't know, man. It's weird to see. Yeah. Oh no. Well, I'm 30 and it feels like <laughs> I was 18 two days ago. So yeah. And I still feel like I'm 18 and I look like I'm 18. So you'll be good. Don't I, I would have never guessed you were a day over 18. Like I got that going for me. That's what there I tell you go. people. <laughs> Appreciate it, Connor. Thanks, yeah, man. No problem. Good to meet yeah. you, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Topic Thunder podcast. Our podcast is available to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a positive review, and follow us on Twitter at OKC Topic Thunder. Thunder up! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.